welcome to today's episode of the Comical Heathen, one man's odyssey into the wild and weird world of religious satire. I'm your host, Dr. Jerry Jaffe. Welcome to today's episode. I'm particularly excited by our interview today, comedian Jim Bryan, who is also the owner of the comedy club, Church of Satire. We'll get to my conversation with him later. Today's episode also has a guest co-host, Kristen Galewood. I'm going to bring her into the conversation shortly. And, you know, what is the conversation? So this podcast is about my interest in religious satire and inspired by a book that I'm slowly but surely sort of writing on the topic. I haven't stalled out or having writer's block at all, I'm sure, I promise you. But in the meantime, I interview comedians and other interesting people and share them on this podcast. And then I also notice things in uh, the news, online, and pop culture related to religious satire and uh, critical thinking skills, politics, pop culture, just anything that I notice that uh, gets on my radar and then gets under my skin. And then I got to share with you what has been bugging me lately. I came across a headline online recently, and I don't know if anyone saw this because it was from a couple of years ago originally, although it continues to be a story in other ways. But the headline that caught my attention was on the topic of Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle brand, Goop, which in 2017 had to pay $145,000 in civil penalties. This was for a couple of products, one of which was a kind of mystical jade egg that, as described, was meant to be inserted into women's vaginas for supposed health benefits, such as balancing hormones and bladder control, among other things. One actual gynecologist called the eggs a load of garbage, and in the court case it was determined that these medical claims were not supported by competent and reliable science. And that, my friends, is the very essence of alternative medicine, In every case, they lack proof. They lack research. They lack competency. From a critical thinking skills perspective, this is what we call the burden of proof. If there's a debate and two people are arguing different sides of an issue, any issue, who has the burden of proof? The burden of proof rests with anyone who makes extraordinary claims, such as mystical, magical eggs that, when inserted in the correct orifice, might have supposed medical benefits. If there were verifiable scientific and medical evidence that these vaginal eggs did the things they claimed, they would, in fact, be used by the very same Western doctors Paltrow disparages. In one interview, she gave uh, this negative spin on evidence-based medicine by saying what purveyors of all of this wacky alternative medicine crap always say, that they're the ones challenging Western medicine with different modalities of healing. I call that a load of goop. Goop, a sticky mess. Synonyms include gunk, yuck, slime, mold, ick, mess, and alternative medicine. You know when normal people use the word goop? When, when there's a fucking mess. Clean that goop up. Get that goop off your face. Goop is a fun word, though. Goopity goop, 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 goop. It's almost Shakespearean. To goop or not to goop? That is the goop. Whether it is goopier to goop goop than bear the goop of goop goop goop. I actually went on for ten more minutes but cut that part out for your sanity and mine. Gwyneth said that the company didn't have any complaints about the eggs. Anecdotes about customer satisfaction is another dodge by alternative medicine snake oil pitch people. You know who else isn't complaining? Paltrow's banks, accountants, and her 12 different dog walkers. And, you know, I'm not 
picking on the victims of these fraudulent sales. If anyone listening bought one and uh, inserted it, A, I hope you followed the instructions, and B, I wish you luck. I think if someone is selling vagina leg inserts, they should at least vibrate. That might actually help cure depression. But consenting adults can insert whatever they want, wherever they want. Plus, I'm no one to judge about inserting eggs into private parts. Years ago, I once smuggled a Fabergé egg through customs in a very sensitive personal cavity. But at least, I'm the one who got paid. And what is this fine? $145,000 to a a major company owned by a rich Hollywood celebrity? What kind of slap on the wrist is that? Paltrow earns that much farting in front of a green screen for an hour in Marvel movies. Come on, Gwyneth. Clean this goop up. And soon we're going to get to my interview with uh, Jim Bryan. And one thing I want to tell you is he uh, is the owner of a comedy club called Church of Satire. And as he points out in the interview, if you want to say it correctly, there is no the. It's not the Church of Satire. It's Church of Satire. So I'm pointing that out not only because it's a kind of amusing detail, but it comes up in the interview with Jim. It also comes up when I'm talking to Kristen because I keep casually saying the Church of Satire. So every time I did that, I put a dollar in the the jar. And when I have enough dollars in the the jar, I'm going to go to the Church of Satire merch shop and buy myself a Church of Satire t-shirt. Until then, though, let's uh, bring Kristen into the conversation. So here's my co-host for today's episode, Kristen Galewood. Well, this is your host again, Dr. Jerry Jaffe, and I'm very excited to bring onto the show right now our guest co-host. She's a member of the Sad Boy Social Club, a sketch comedy group out of Cleveland, uh, hilarious, and a local comedian who I really love. Please uh, welcome to the show now, Kristen Galewood. Hey, everybody. I'd just like to thank Jerry for having me on. I don't do a lot of podcasts, so this is this will be fun. That's the main idea. Nothing can go wrong. Because after we record this, I'm going to edit it so we both sound like motherfucking geniuses. My my uh, promise Sounds to great. you. <laughs> Have you been doing any shows or going to any comedy lately? Um, so what Sad Boys decided to do is focus on video work, um, okay. which we've been posting on Facebook and YouTube. And we've actually, we just started a TikTok page okay. um, where we cut up clips from some of our sketches and we do new material and Mm -hmm. new videos. Everybody has like one day of the week. I'm Wednesday. So (laughs) I just got to think of something and put it on TikTok. Sad Boy Social Club has been uh, rocking sketch comedy for several years. I've seen them many times. I own one of their t-shirts. Get some merch, support your local comedy. Hey, Kristen, in the monologue I just did, I don't know if you were uh, listening along, but I was sort of obsessed really with alternative medicine, but what really sort of triggered me was these uh, articles I found recently about Gwyneth Paltrow's uh, Goop lifestyle brand, I guess is what it's called, that mixed into her merchandise is a lot of, you know, questionable alternative medicine or alternative medicine adjacent products, which then led to this lawsuit that I was talking about. So let's just like bring you into the conversation. Where are you? uh, What are your thoughts on Goop? Oh, where do I begin? (laughs) You know, Gwyneth Paltrow is peddling so many weird things through her Goop website. And I've Mm -hmm. heard so many weird things 
about it. I saw an article that um, doctors say Gwyneth Paltrow puts on her sunscreen in this dangerous way. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to click on it. I bet she shoots it in her vagina. And um, yeah, and like, it was clickbait. She's just like, oh, she just like, like dabs it on her nose and her cheeks, like highlighter. And I'm like, oh, you mean she doesn't eat it? There are some, uh, pausing from saying the word crazy. And the reason I'm trying not to say the word crazy is because I'm zero judgmental about people who buy or try the products as consumers. All of my judgment and scorn is directed at goop, like that they're peddling pseudo-scientific alternative medicine. And Gwyneth Paltrow is already like a rich Hollywood celebrity. Does she really need to like double her income by selling vagina eggs? Is that really something that she needs to be doing right now? No, but unfortunately, I watched all six episodes of Goop Lab on Netflix. And apparently <laughs> the reason she did this was because she feel she felt like she needed to contribute something more than just making out with Brad Pitt on the screen. And it's like, <laughs> no, Gwyneth, you would have done us a favor. Just right. seriously, just suck face with Brad Pitt for the rest of your life yes. and leave everybody's vagina alone. Uh, yes, and I would find um, sucking face with Brad's pit to be a more spiritual activity, personally. Like, if it was me, <laughs> that would be the one I would choose. Goop claimed, and this is from an article from the BBC, hmm. it said Goop claimed its jade and rose quartz eggs, which are inserted vaginally, could balance hormones and regulate menstrual cycles, among other things. Yes, this is what we would call medical claims. They are not evidence-based medical claims. So now we end up with what I was talking about in the um, monologue when I brought up burden of proof. Burden of proof is always goes to the person who is saying the extreme thing. You know, the old saying, um, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. If I uh, say I like vanilla ice cream, that's boring. So you don't have to prove it to anybody. If Goop says that their crystal quartz eggs will regulate your menstrual cycle or relieve your depression. I I need to know more. I have questions. I want to see the research that goes behind this. And of course, she was involved in a lawsuit, which she lost over this product. Yeah. And I just like to point out, they had to pay out $145,000 in penalties, Mm -hmm. which we all know for Gwyneth is just a slap on the wrist. Yes. That's nothing more than a day's worth of kissing Brad Pitt. She's been paid more than that for kissing Brad Pitt. So it's probably an hour for her. Yeah. She makes so much money. Right. And one of the things that like kind of bothered me, especially because I actually I went on the website and and I, I mostly went to the products because I thought I was gonna find all this crazy stuff. And I, I think they've toned it down a bit since the lawsuit. Yeah, it's what it sounds like. But, yeah, but when watching watching the series. Yeah, let's talk really, about the goop lab for a minute. Oh my god. It bothered the hell out of me because like some of the stuff they were talking about is like legitimate. So they like, they introduce just enough science and then they muddle it Yes. with like this wushu stuff and anecdotes. And then they bring in people who are like allegedly, I say allegedly, cause I don't trust goop that are like doctors. And right. like in the beginning they said, Oh, this is for like entertainment and informational purposes only. It's not medical advice, but it's like, I feel like, like you can say that, but I feel like your show is presenting something else. 
if people haven't watched this show and I in no way recommend it at all, like it's a horror show in my opinion, but every episode <laughs> begins with a title screen with a disclaimer and the disclaimer says, and Kristen and I are paraphrasing a little bit, but it says, this yeah. is not medical information. This is presented for entertainment purposes only. And it says something like, do not start any course of treatment without consulting your personal physician first. And I think they phrased all of that because the title bullshit had already been taken by another TV show. Because that's basically what this <laughs> title card is saying. It's saying, you know, this isn't medical information. It's just bullshit we're presenting for entertainment purposes. Like mm -hmm. every episode, at least one person cries mm -hmm. because they're like having an experience. And, you know, it's hard to like, I don't want to make fun of these people because they yep. really seem to be having a genuine experience yeah. and they're talking about a lot of trauma. But then it's also hard to be like, what you're doing to address this trauma is like, yes. BS. Yeah. And the first episode is about using psychedelics for therapeutic purposes. And there is research being done in that area. However, right. that is not what they showed. Going down to the Bahamas to have three, <laughs> let's just say, well-intentioned hippies hug you while you trip. <laughs> and I, I will add, too, that only one of those three hippies were described as therapists. The other two were like assistants to the therapists. And I do, I do want to add one thing if you didn't watch the episode, and please don't because it's horrible. <laughs> They, they describe what they're doing as like both therapy and kind of like a laboratory. And I'm talking about this trippy scene where they go down to the Bahamas. But all participants, including the therapists, take psychedelics. And I'm sorry, but you do not do research while the researchers are taking the drugs that they're researching. <laughs> that would be like if you're getting, you know, like your, your, your vaccine and the nurse who gives you a shot, like sucks a little off the end of the needle just so she gets a quick high. You know, like she's not sucking on your needle while you're getting your shot. The person administering the medicine is supposed to be like sober and analytical. At, the, at this point, it's like, hey, I'm too drunk. You drive. And it's like, oh, I'm really drunk, too. <laughs> OK, we're going to drive home. Well, let's all let's all just hug each other and drive home drunk as a big group hug. <laughs> well, one person cries about something that happened in their childhood. That's, <laughs> that would be the Goop Lab episode. on Alcohol drugs. will do that. As I was going to say. Like, I just wanted to bring up this thing. It's, it's like, I call, I don't know if there's an actual term for it, but I call it emotional blackmail. Mm -hmm. And I feel like watching this whole series, I felt like I was being emotionally blackmailed. You know, it's hard to like watch these people and not feel bad for them. And I think people will see that, that anecdotal stuff, but it's not the fact that it's just, not just that it's anecdotal, but that it's very powerful and very mm -hmm. human. And it gives yeah. you that connection. And yeah. to me, to me, that, that, that's devious. Because that's how you kind of like sucker people in to this kind of thing. We, the audience, because uh, most of us are, are not, you know, psychopaths, will feel some <laughs> amount of empathy for what some of the participants are going through. Well, you know, that's what the last two episodes of Goop, like the one is kind of like doing that uh, healing energy stuff. This guy's like poking the air around the people yep. or something weird. Yes. <laughs> And they're having an experience. Right. And then, um, and of course, the last one is a, a psychic medium. Yes. And oh my gosh, it, it made me so angry because the psychics are mediums, whatever they are. They're yeah. like, well, you know, people tell us like, you know, we're doing bad things yeah. or, you know, that we're lying and they're doing a thing where they're like, well, we're people too. And like, <laughs> you know, and they're being unfairly yeah. targeted. And it's yeah. like, well... No, you should be called out on your bullshit. 
<laughs> Even if you believe your own bullshit, mm-hmm. somebody needs to call you out on it. There wasn't a powerful rebuttal to either the medium episode or that energy healing. I don't know what it was. I don't know yeah. what poking the air is. It's not Reiki, but no. there was one person who's like, I'm a little skeptical, but it's like just having somebody say that they're skeptical, like sometimes they can like use that to like reinforce the idea. Yeah. For the example, with the skeptical staff member that was being read by the medium, mm-hmm. it turned out the the medium wasn't doing a good job. Right. And I, I'm sure part of the reason was because the staff member was a skeptic. So they're not like feeding them anything or saying yes. And so then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. You're actually reading Lindsay over here, yeah. one of the camera people. It's always an excuse. But, and, <laughs> I have, but I have to say this because this is my absolute favorite part of this whole goop thing because the rest of it is trash. Okay. This medium, no joke, is asking this lady. She's like, I don't know. I'm getting, I'm getting like an image of, of like a donkey, you know, a donkey like Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> she thought she's gonna say something about Shrek. The staff member is skeptical, so she's not saying anything. And she's like, Oh, I don't know, a donkey. What? A, oh, like Mexico. And then I guess, I think it was Lindsay. I don't remember these people's names on the camera. She's like, no, you're reading me. She's like, my grandfather died and I'm getting married in Mexico. And my grandpa said something about a donkey. And (laughs) I'm like, what the hell? They had a title card that just gave like a one sentence explanation of what a cold reading is. Yeah. And a hot reading. Yes. Probably anyone listening to this knows what those mean, but one sentence definition, a Hot reading is when a so-called psychic actually knows stuff about you and they just feed it into their psychic reading. And if you're Gwyneth Paltrow, you're very famous. But even if you're Kristen or Jerry, there's a lot of information about us on social media. So there have been cases where like a, a tarot card or psychic would have a person in the back room on a computer just looking you up while the psychic is talking to you and then being able to say like, oh, you're having relationship troubles or stuff that's very accurate because they're reading it off Facebook. So that's a hot reading. And a cold reading is more like a guessing game. And in this show, that psychic was doing a lot of cold reading. She was just saying vague things. Like the one reading she did, she said, oh, there's a, I I see a a female coming into the screen. And the other person goes, my mother? Like, what did the psychic actually say? But a generic, half the people in the world are female. I see a female coming in my vision. And then the staff member told her who the woman was. So that's a cold reading. And it was very blatant. It wasn't even particularly skillful or entertaining. It was a very like ham-fisted, obvious cold reading. Can I do a cold reading on you, Jerry? Yeah. Will you play along? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting a male figure. For some reason, he's showing me the letter D. Is there anybody, <laughs> is there anybody, a male figure in your life? Well, I'm thinking of my dad. (laughs) He is still with us now, but he is elderly and I'm worried about his health. (laughs) And only, okay, um, I'm a psychic for alive people. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, there was something on the show, which I also wanted to mention which was, I'd never heard this before, so I have to say I learned something watching episode six of the Goop Lab, which I'd never heard of the four Claire's before. Oh, neither have I. Remember that? 
Here, I just wrote them down. My 12 listeners at home, you're about to learn. This is in the world of like psychic new age, uh, woo woo BS. They call it the four clairs and it's clairvoyance, which I'm sure you've mostly heard of, but then clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience and claircognizance. And here's a brief definition, by the way, sorry for being a college professor for five seconds. Clairaudience means hearing the psychic ability to hear voices. Clairvoyance means the psychic ability to see images. Clairsentience is the psychic ability to recognize feelings. And claircognizance is the psychic ability to know things, kind of like mediums know things about the dead or something like that. Having heard that, I don't know if I believe in the four clairs, but I do believe in the four jairs. Okay. For example, jair audience is the ability to detect bullshit through hearing. And uh, jairvoyance is the ability to see the image of the faces of the dead presidents that fraudulent psychics, aka all of them, steal from their trusting victims. Gersentience is the ability to recognize the feelings of those in need who are victimized by charlatans or otherwise forced to cry on camera for their boss's Netflix series. Gercognizance is the ability to know the difference between a magic trick and an authentic psychic or medium, which is easy to know because there are no authentic psychics or mediums. And I have to warn you, Kristen and people at home, that once I started doing this dumb bit, I couldn't stop. So then I came up with uh, the fifth jer is jerific, how you feel when you banish magical thinking from your life. Gerrymander, the ability to know beforehand who will win an election because of how voting districts are drawn. And of course, like a jerry and a super. So there's jerper and super duper, which is jerper duper and super califragilistic expialidocious, which is jerper califragilistic expialidocious. And that's the ability to know that psychics and mediums are quite, are really quite atrocious. And just to warn everybody, including Kristen, there's only one more, but the last one is my favorite, and that's Jerry Betty Jetty ice cream, which is an actual real ice cream flavor I found in Japan and is, of course, delicious. Jetty Betty Jetty ice cream, the four jars plus a few extras. I was going to say, clairsentience sounds like, isn't that just like regular ass human empathy? <laughs> <laughs> I think this crying person is sad. Yes. Are any of you getting that? Wait, we need to combine all, everything we've learned. We need, <laughs> we need to get them on mushrooms, put them in the cold water. That's the other thing. Yeah, there was a cold water episode. Yeah, stab the air around them while giving them a psychic reading. Yes. <laughs> and film it all for your boss's Netflix series. I will say there was one episode that I thought was worthwhile because it doesn't really have a lot of science. I think it might have some alleged statistics. And again, I say alleged. I didn't look it up to confirm it. <laughs> I just don't trust goop. I don't trust them. But it was like women and their vaginas and like not being embarrassed about it and being comfortable with your body. Mm. So actually, I thought that one was good because, yeah, I think we're a much more open society now. But mm. I mean, it's a, a society where, you know, women are still very much judged by their looks and their bodies. Yes. But it was very, oh, sorry, I was just saying, but it was mostly focused specifically on the vagina and to not feel like you have a weird vagina. I don't know. Um, I, maybe some people feel that way. So, so I thought I thought that was actually good. I, I will say uh, that I skipped that episode, but only because I'd already seen it while <laughs> I was watching Real Sex. Since that's every episode <laughs> of the series Real Sex is looking at your genitals to feel better about them. Oh, okay. Is, it was recently Easter and Sad Boy Social Clubs released a special Easter episode, didn't they? 
yes, we, we did an Easter special. Um, I suggested it one day because I was like, you know what? I don't see a lot of TV shows or comedy shows like do an Easter special. It's always like a Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. And then I quickly figured out why because it got blasphemous real quick. I love it. Um, it's about 20 minutes long. Okay. Um, I will put like a link to that in the description of the show. So everybody who's listening, please check it out. Again, support the Sad Boy Social Club. Just as a teaser, Kristen, what's your favorite bit of blasphemy that's in the episode? Let's just say that there's a sketch about a toy company where they propose some new toy prototypes to get kids excited about Easter along the lines, sex sells, where's all the blood, guts, and gore? (laughs) Give the listeners a, a hint. Does Jesus make an appearance in any form in this Easter episode? Yes. 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 There's actually, um, in the background of this podcast, um, Kristen, is a book I'm trying to write about satire. And in that book is a whole chapter on the topic of representing God, Jesus, and other religious figures in comedy. I don't know. I'm a horribly obnoxious person. And that's why I've channeled it into comedy because it's like the only socially acceptable way. Right. I don't know. I just have this weird energy. I try to rein it in, but sometimes, you know, it just kind of slips out. Well, for the record, I love weird energy. It's one of the reasons why I asked you to be on the show because I need more (laughs) weird energy in my life. Uh, But I do want to say I recently interviewed comedian Jim Bryan. He's our interview subject in today's episode. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick thing about him, and then I'll we'll go to the interview. He runs a small comedy club in Pennsylvania called the Church of Satire. And he lived there, and he's a comedian, and kind of like comedians sometimes do, he just decided he needed to start a show where he lived, that he had to have a comedy club in his own hometown. And so we do talk about how he built an audience and uh, his performance and the difference between going on the road and having your own comedy club. So I'm going to, let's listen to what uh, Jim has to say, including running a comedy, owning a comedy club during a pandemic. We talk about that as well. And on the other side, uh, Kristen, let's hear your take on it. Okay. I'm the reincarnation of dead Larry King, better known as Dr. Jerry Joffe, the world's most highly educated stand-up comedian. And I'm here today with our guest on the podcast, Mr. Jim Bryan. How are you, Jim? I'm doing really well. Thank you, Jerry. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on and doing this podcast and talking comedy and satire with me. I really appreciate you. Do you want to give a little shout out? Uh, We were just chatting before we started to our mutual friend, Mark Riccadonna. He introduced us and set up this interview. So thank you, Mark. I really appreciate your support. What's up, Mark? Jim, before we get into any... um, talk of satire per se just quick rundown how long you been doing comedy first time i did stand up was 2002 there was some time off in between there you know i had a lot of little kids and mm-hmm. you know what i mean so like there was a point in time where i just wasn't making any money doing stand up you sure. know and it was easy to not make any money it was frustrating to not make money and do stand up but it right. was mad easy to do it when there was no fucking kids around you know but then like kids come around and you know, your perspective changes a little bit. Responsibilities change a lot. So I just sort of like hung it up, you know, yep. like hung hung up the whole uh, the whole operation yep. and just shifted my focus to 
you know, advancing my career, going to college, whatever. I came back to it maybe six years ago, came back to it okay. just because, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't stay away. I never wanted to stay away. I just, you know, had to. So, uh, you know, got back into it about six years ago. Back in 2002, what, what motivated you to, to try it the first time? Was there some motivation there? I always wanted to, you know, I just liked the humor of it. I right. liked making people laugh, that type of stuff. So I think I always wanted to do it. I think mm-hmm. I decided that I wanted to do it around 18, but okay. I kind of dicked around, like just scared mm-hmm. of like trying something that I really wanted to do, like where I'd fail. Probably dicked around with that for probably 36 months of like just being fearful of failure, you know? Yeah. But like a lot of folks in New York where I was living at the time, September 11th kind of messed with a lot of people's heads. You know, I mean, sure. I mean, a lot of, it, it killed a lot of people. Obviously people had it worse than having their heads messed with, you know, but mm-hmm. it did, it was like, it was like a collective change and sort of focus a lot of people. A lot of people joined the military, a lot of, you know, I just decided like I was getting far away from New York as possible because I felt like the place was nuclear, you know, mm-hmm. I was worried, I was scared, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I was like, I'm just doing this and doing all the things that, that I want to do. It was like one of those type of moments, you know, I think I was like right. 21, 21, 22 years old or something. So that's what really drove me to do it. Okay. was like, I'm leaving New York anyway. I'm going to go do this in the city, whatever. I'm just going to go do it. And that was it. That lit a fire after I did it mm-hmm. a couple of times to where, you know, I sucked at it, but that didn't matter. <laughs> I just kept yeah. doing it, you know, and I moved out to Vegas. Um, and I just continued doing it there for years until I moved back east with my wife, you know, okay. seven. And that's yeah. when you took your hiatus? Yeah, well, I think when I first got back, like when I first came here, you know, we moved to Hanover, Pennsylvania, which is that's where the club is now, but it's not where I live now. I live like 15 minutes from here. But when I first got here, I was like, yo, I don't think I'm going to make it here, man. Like, <laughs> this place is really weird, dude. Mm-hmm. It was like, there's just, there's only white people, like mm-hmm. only white people. You know, I was right. like, is that on purpose? Right. It was just weird. It was like a weird experience. And I really didn't know if I was going to make it. So I went down to Baltimore like one or two times because Hanover is only like an hour from Baltimore. Okay. It's actually a really cool commute. It's great. Uh, you know, I went down there and I don't know. I don't know if like maybe my expectations, not like me personally, like I thought I would be received better. I don't really know. I can't right. really remember. I just know that like the first few times I did it when I moved here from Vegas, I don't know. I didn't have much desire to get to know anybody. I was okay. kind of bummed out. So it just sort of faded away. Like it was easier for me to step away from it having had like a couple of experiences where I was like, eh, didn't do good. Maybe I'm not mm-hmm. started working, you know, finished off my master's degree during that time, started okay. getting like, just kept getting promotions. So I, just, good. I just stuck with it, you know, like I was doing the type of work I liked, you know, working with people, you know, taking care of folks, you know, okay. psychiatric stuff. But like, I never planned on like getting promoted. Right. You know what I mean? It just, it was crazy in like 2000. 12 maybe 2012 like i got a job running an entire dementia building it was like a hundred people like i was way out of my desk like, that's like a real job right there yeah like <laughs> i was an executive you know mm-hmm. i was making i was making good money at the time i like hustled in that job man like i overachieved big time like i okay. faked it till i made it people had no idea how out of my depth i was in that job like i can do this job but this is not what i want to do with my life you know, so I got back into stand-up while I was doing that last executive job. I'd say by year five, dude, I was just done. Okay. I couldn't do that work anymore. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was working in a retirement community, so like people were dying all oh, the time, yeah. old yeah. folks. 
So after that, I was like, I got to get out. So I resigned from that job, started my own consulting business. At that point, I was kind of making some traction with doing stand up. You know, okay. I was getting more work. I was getting work to where I was actually paying my bills with. Well, well, there you it, go. You know, it was a viable option. Okay. So I left my job, left my career, making really good money mm -hmm. in that last year. I just went full tilt into, you know, stand up and consulting and private work. And, you know, then from there, you got the location where I decided to open up the comedy. Well, you're uh, reading my mind a little bit because that was what was on my mind to ask you about next. So uh, you own, run a club in the Hanover area called the Church of Satire. That's a comedy club? Church of Satire Comedy Club. Yeah, there's no thought in front of it. I know that seems like a minuscule thing. No, no. It's kind of. It's like a Facebook, the Facebook. Yeah, but you got it. Church of Satire right. Comedy Club. Well, don't you find when you're in the middle of a sentence, people still have to put the word the in front of it? How long yeah, have you been working all... at Church of Satire? <laughs> well, and it's and it's even it's even like appropriate, you know? Like it's one of them things that I find myself kind of haggling with. But, but it does yeah, have never, a... Nevertheless, you got the name right, it man. Does does have a proper name, and probably that name also affects things like merch and uh, letterhead, so you want to get it right. <laughs> yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah. Uh, if it were the, it would kind of throw off the symmetry of the button logo that yeah. we use. <laughs> so uh, when did that start? When did you start what is called well, Church of Satire? <laughs> I started doing it as like a like a road show. We actually, the building that I'm in right now, I'm in my office at the club right now. Okay. The building that it's in used to be like a cafe bistro type place. Okay. Right? And they had a comedy night on Saturdays. And at that point, I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. There's... There's a, there's, I could go do stand up in Hanover. That's like 12 <laughs> minutes from where I'm living right now. It just, it just opened up a doorway that mm -hmm. like I, I've been dreaming of it opening since I moved here because everything else about living here is great, dude. It's quiet. The okay. air's clean. Mm -hmm. You know, where I live now is like out in the country. So like, I don't have neighbors uh <laughs> like my family is dynamite it's the center of my world so like everything's here but it, i was i was missing you know it was right. like it sucks there's no comedy here you know like that would really so this i was driving down to baltimore and up to harrisburg and to new york city and to right. pittsburgh you know and i was like oh my god like you know i'm not making that much money i'm spending time away from from home you know so then this cafe has a comedy night i'm like oh <laughs> you know, it was amazing. So I start. We I was doing shows here. I start, you know I really I really was growing as a comic. There's never anybody in the damn crowd. You know what I mean? Sure. It, it's Hanover. You know, it was craft work. It was like I'm, yep. I'm back in the I'm back in the swing of telling shitty jokes and telling good jokes and feeling like a success and feeling like a failure. I was back in that that mm -hmm. artistic groove. So like I was down with it. What ended up happening was the place closed down. And I was like, oh no, what a disaster. <laughs> so, but, but rather, but I guess what I, what I did was I was like, well, absolutely not. This, I'm not going to allow this to happen. Let's just okay. go around town and find anyone willing to let us use their business after hours. So we ended up finding the place. The, one of the guys that worked, Aaron, he works on, he runs the sound here at the club. He was working at a vape shop. The owner of the vape shop was like, yeah, dude, whatever. We close at 930. Do whatever you want. Just lock up. I was like, <laughs> no way. So we ended up doing a pop-up show on Fridays in a vape shop after hours. 
and strike me down if I'm lying. Before I knew it, there was 40 plus heads in there coming to see stand up. And the backdrop was a king size bed sheet that was like, <laughs> they drew my, they drew a picture of my face as a joke. And oh my God, dude, every comedian <laughs> at this place was like, even they called me every horrendous description you could possibly imagine making fun of this character of my face, but it just got so crowded. So, you know, I'd been calling it church of satire kind of as a gag because right. I always liked, I wanted to call it Den of, the, the Den of Satire, which is so hokey and right. stupid. But as a joke, I was like, we should call it church because fucking church is packed every Sunday, <laughs> right? Like right. church has a lousy time slot Sunday mornings. <laughs> like why is church, why is church even crowded? Like no one would go to anything else on that time slot. Like, so as yeah. a joke, I was like, yeah, church is sat there. And then after I wrote it down, I was like, hot damn, that's a good name. So right. like I went online thinking for sure somebody would come up with it, you know, right? Yeah. and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was like, I went and bought the domain. I got an <laughs> LLC. I was like, this is dynamite, you know? And um, so I've been calling it church of satire and it just okay. got, more popular man okay. like comedians from all over the country came to that vape show while they were burning through town you right know what i mean and then we started live streaming it years ago and you know that was something that nobody was really doing back then you know right. we were doing it we we're doing it every weekend just grew and grew and grew and then one day i'm driving down the road and i drive by this this building i'm in now like all nostalgic and shit and i'm like oh man it's really sad whatever it looked all boarded up mm -hmm. So I don't even know what really prompted me to do it, but I, I just called the, I called the dude that used to run the bistro was like, what's the score? He gave me the owner's number. I called the owner. I was like, y'all want to rent that place. And just, it all happened really, really fast. And like, okay. before I knew it, man, I was holding keys and it all like all these dominoes started falling into place okay. and the place, the, the design of the club is just world-class because a super talented <laughs> designer was like, I'll help. Okay. We have church, we have church pews in there. You know, that's like, that's the gag uh -huh. is that the, prim the primary seating is church pews, but that was it. That was all I brought to the table. I was like, <laughs> I don't give a shit what it looks like. It's called church of satire and it's gotta have church pews. He gave me like two rendered options on his iPad. I picked the one that I liked, and now it's sitting on the other end of that door right now, exactly as he designed it. And it's just so, and that was it. Well, I he often the comedy club. I mean, uh, congratulations. I want to just piggyback on that last point about working with a designer because I feel like a lot of comedy clubs, even higher end ones, would benefit by bringing in a designer just to make it more functional or theatrical. Like the lights aren't right, or the sight lines aren't right like something that a theater professional yep, could fix in five minutes a yeah, comedy a club manager design. doesn't know anything about <laughs> no i don't know a fucking thing about that stuff. <laughs> i have no idea for the for the two years previous i was doing a show at a vape shop with a sheet <laughs> in, in front of a king-size bed sheet you know like i'm the last person but that's when craig paul is the designer he's a oh. funny comic too okay he's, he's, he's a sick buck man he's funny <laughs> but uh he he's he's a set designer and I, I mean what better you know like not only is just the design of it impeccable but even even the finer points like where the lights are mounted 
uh, how the yeah. light how the yep. light cooperates with the shape of the room, matte paint over glossy paint. I mean, there's just there's a lot of things that if you're not aware of how right. paint you know paint absorbs light and shit like that. Yeah, absolutely. I bought the cheapest shit that they had at Ace Hardware. <laughs> you know, when he first came in, I was like, dude, I want a brick wall, and he was like, you are fired <laughs> good for him <laughs> yeah he tell me and i don't have no problem with that you know yep. if somebody smarter than me tells me i'm being stupid dude i'm not gonna argue with that you know it, it, it's a great name it's a great logo i mean you know when i saw the name of your club because it's sort of like shall we say intentionally or unintentionally gets at that preaching to the converted aspect of satire like <laughs> I was really worried about using the word church in there because I, I didn't want to be insulting because this, you know, this is a church going community yeah, sure. down here. You know what I mean? Thankfully, it was well received. It was well received. Um, so not much pushback yeah. or complaints? No, no. Maybe maybe like the smallest of, of pushback, but no. And a lot of people from like church mm -hmm. congregations around, like they came here and they laughed at some of the sickest shit I ever heard. Right. You know, <laughs> pairing the two words together, mm -hmm. you know, while they might seem like sort of counter forces, right. you know, man, I've watched church going old ladies laugh at some stuff in right. this building. Matter of fact, somebody from up around your area there around Cleveland, Dwayne Duke. I know him um, well. We've done a lot of shows was together. Here. Dude, he told the most sexually explicit routine, his little old lady in the front row, man. She had the best time of her entire <laughs> life. It was like her 90th birthday or something like that, you know? So it's, you know, it's a good thing. The pairing of those two those two forces, you know what sure. I mean? It, it's turned out to be a really good thing for the most part. Why satire? I mean, why is that? Does that mean anything more than just the brand name or? No. It, it's, <laughs> uh, satire is, is, is an important word. I think satire is necessary, you know? And I think it's also something that can be like easily called shitty or bad okay. and like suppressed, you know? Like if you know uh, this, the, the the satirical kid in class is is generally not the one that the teacher is very happy to see. Right. right? <laughs> the, the class clown is somebody that the teacher kind of tolerates, but really appreciates after they're mm -hmm. not their fucking problem anymore. So I just feel like satire is something that can be easily pushed away, and apart from it being necessary, the word itself to me is attractive. I don't okay. know if this makes sense. It, it's it's more, it's more like physically looking at the word mm -hmm. and saying the word. It's a cool word, you know. I think it looks sexy as hell in Craig's logo, but um, <laughs> just just the word itself to me is an attractive word, you, you mm -hmm. know. So I mean, there's I like words. Mm -hmm. I like I like using words and sentences that are are more attractive and and more attractive, you know, in the way that they sound. You know, Church of Humor just doesn't sound good. You know, like Church of, uh, Church of, you know, I don't know, Analytical Dialogue or all of that shit sounds stupid. Right. But Church of Satire. Makes, it makes sense. It works on a lot of different levels. It does. Uh, and I like satire. Yeah. Who doesn't? Like, who doesn't? Who doesn't like satire? People who don't like satire, I don't know, man. You got to question those folks. Something ain't right with them folks. You also have a um, special on Amazon, Laidback Maniac. That was a fun show. Do you um, consider... So, A, I mentioned that so people know they can go and look it up. I'll put a link to it in the description for this podcast. Oh, thanks, it's easier dude. for people to find. In that show, uh, which, you know, I've watched it this week. You know, you do a lot of family humor and crowd work. You know, good, solid stuff. 
That just leads to the question, do you consider satire like a part of your act? What kind of role does satire play for your comedy? Yeah, I gotta be honest, my comedy's kind of vapid. Uh, <laughs> it's not that I don't have political satire type of writings, you know, and musings doesn't bleed into my live standup okay. so much. Sure. Uh, what you saw is is in line with what like most of my standup is. Sure. I don't go dark. I don't I don't go dark very often. I don't really explore too much than than some of the observational stuff and some of the experience, the live action wow. experience stuff that kind of happens around the house and around the farm. Sure. That's not to say I don't write it. <laughs> it's just it's just to say that maybe I haven't quite Maybe I haven't quite gotten good enough at integrating it into a live performance, you know? Sure. It's easy to be likable when I say the things like I do in right. some of the recorded albums that I have, you know? We're just being conversational, but to be clear and friendly, and I know I don't have to say what I'm about to say, I didn't find it vapid. I found it hilarious. It was just oh, of right that on, style man. of comedy. I'm a middle-aged yeah. white guy, and when I'm opening for Mark Riccadonna, I do not do political or religious satire. I talk about my wife for 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah, and, and usually people laugh, I, you know, usually, but... Uh, yeah, like, there are some things. I have had some jokes, I think, that maybe <laughs> sort of criticize. I will say this, though. I think when I do get more like that, it is more with darker stuff, you know? Like, I got a, I got a joke, because it's more of a story. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, it, the, the, the joke mm. winds up. The crux of the joke is about, like, how back in the 80s and shit, people used to drive into lakes and station wagons mm -hmm. and like kill themselves and their family like that's kind of that's some dark shit right. you know yeah it you know it's linked with like overuse of electronic devices right stuff. so like it does yes. have some connection to like calling out the absurdities you know what i mean yeah and that but uh, i that's what i that routine is in laid back maniac the special on amazon oh, is by it? The way. yes <laughs> i actually you know what i pumped that bit up a little bit uh, <laughs> Cause I do that shit all the time. You know, I'll record something and be like, damn, this is good footage, man. Release it. And then, like, <laughs> it's not even a done joke. You know, <laughs> I'll just keep telling it. Cause I know not that many people are watching it anyway. <laughs> I pumped that joke up on steroids, dude. I ended up pumping that joke up to where right. I can sell merch called tragedy bears about <laughs> how like, you know, anytime there's a tragedy, there's always teddy bears yep. with like, you know, fucking eyeball hanging out and stuff to where I was, I was ripping the ears and shit off the stuffed animals at my house and selling them merch, calling them, tra calling them tragedy bears. Well, I mean, it's not satire in the, like the Bill Maher, or George Carlin sense, but I will say when you go that dark about social events, when I was listening to it fresh a couple days ago, I literally thought about the um, Sam Kennison bit about the, um, necrophilia in the funeral home as in yeah. like how can you take like there was a challenge for him supposedly <laughs> to take something that was like so dark no one could make a joke out of it yeah and i was thinking that because when you got to the sort of the main punchline of uh, that i you know what didn't fall out of that car fucking ipad or something like that whatever <laughs> it was but the audience like died like you took yeah. the audience into that dark place and got the laugh that you were like orchestrating it for yeah, dude, I'm really proud of that joke. Yes. I, I really was because <laughs> I can remember, like, that's a dark topic. Like, they can make people cringe a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of the times when I have shows, man, like, it's a lot of repeat visitors. This is a small town. You sure. Know? So, like, you know, they get used to the kids' stuff and the, you know, the stepping in dog shit. Yes. Like, they get used <laughs> to that sort of humor, you know, and then you're just like remember when people used to kill themselves in, in lakes and, you know that sometimes that could really 
Yes. For a loop. I was happy that one. I am happy. And I've told that joke to a lot of different settings and to, to mm -hmm. younger and older people. And, sure. you know, there's always somebody that's like, yeah, man, I remember that. <laughs> and uh, it, it really works in a lot of places. I, I, I'm happy with that joke. I'm glad you like if if like say political or religious satire isn't um you know central to the sort of comedy that you do then what role does you think satire plays in comedy in general like what's its function for the comedy world well i love it okay. i love to watch i appreciate it number one and it it does kind of to that notion of truth to power when you know you're you're using humor mm -hmm. as as a vehicle to sort of mm -hmm. expose mm -hmm. you know the the essence of satire right like the exposing the stupidity or whatever you, you know so i think that just because just because like i don't make my nut doing it for one thing there are people who do it way better than me <laughs> with with, the, with those types of with that comedic angle and i i appreciate it so i watch it as a fan right. here in the club but i i know what it does it really does closely align itself with that truth to power notion. Um, I want to ask you now a question that refers back to just you as the manager of the comedy club. Yeah. I don't get to interview a lot of comedy club managers. You like you see comedians of all stripes and styles or every weekend or every time you have a show. Who is out there doing satire that you think is really like above average gold standard? Robert Mack. Does oh. some pretty amazing okay. work. He's a, got a dry bar special where okay. uh, some some of his political humor okay. is quite delightful. Really clean. I've had him here at the club. Yeah, check him out. Okay, dude, he's funny. Okay, he's funny. Works clean too. I don't know if I would say that Robert is like a Lewis Black satirist type of individual. Okay, but I I would call his his work very very well written satire okay absolutely talking about even racial issues he's got a joke about polar bears and how polar bears are protected but like black bears aren't or okay something. Like sure it's, it's really really good stuff man and and maybe there's some maybe there's something else to that you know maybe maybe perhaps uh we've even limited uh, ourselves to what what we sort of look for when we want to see satire sure when you know maybe we can alter sort of widen our lens a little bit mm -hmm. and you know there there's more there's more satirical writers and more satirical points of view uh that might be calling out absurdities in behavior commonplace behavior not so much just pointedly towards yeah. the politics or the religion per se which maybe it's not conventional satire you know and like you'll you know with like the jonathan swift roots but it has the same essence of calling out absurdities. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, you can almost um, say like social satire. Yeah. Which I would go uh, back to the Kinnison bit and the your bit with the cars is probably yeah. in that uh, direction, you know. Is a, a yeah, dark Robert, social phenomenon dude, that people aren't good. talking about. You yeah. got to check Robert out. Okay. I was interested when you brought up uh, you were in New York and September 11th was part of what motivated you to like say I'm going to finally do this thing I've always wanted to try. One of the things that I try to write about in this 80% finished book of mine is if satire or religious satire changed after September 11th. In, in particular, I'm referring to people, Bill Maher would be the most famous example, but he's not the only one. Kind of like that new atheist or angry atheist that wants to push back against religious extremism by getting very sort of bulldogish on religious satire. 
Yeah, I got to be honest with you, man. I see a lot of stand-up. Well, I did before COVID, and I don't. I can't say that I hear a lot of it. You know, so if 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 I were to answer your question based on like my last few years, yeah, I'd say that it has had an effect because I don't hear a lot of jokes, a lot of well, you know, well-crafted, worked-on okay. routines that are like polished. You might hear somebody say something at an open mic for shock value, but it doesn't quite get the response, and and they don't cultivate right. it into a workable piece of art. You know, but yeah, I don't think I see too much of it. Because you run a comedy club, I definitely want to hear your perspective. As a guy who's on the road sometimes and doing shows part-time, you don't hear a lot of religious satire on the road. And I think not everyone, of course, but a lot of road comics avoid the subject as just too controversial. Like they want the audience to just have a good time. They don't want to alienate anybody. So they're not going to... They want to keep working. They want to keep working, too. Yeah, they don't want to alienate bookers. They don't have complaints after the show. (laughs) Yeah, there's truth and understanding to that statement. Right. You know, it's a job. This is J-O-B. You know, you you might not, in your normal job, you you might not go about ruffling feathers for the sake of principles because you want to keep your job, you know? You want to continue to be a workable asset. So, like, I can appreciate that. I, for one, don't care. Right. You come in here... And I've vetted you enough that I've booked you. I am truly committed to what we do here as comedians. And when it's your turn, it's your time, you know, stand by your shit. Because if you say stuff and people despise you, that's how this works, man. Like come in with some confidence and put, you know, put some daisies around it so that you make it more palatable. Do what you have to do. It's like right. giving a dog a pill, uh, <laughs> wrap it in some baloney, you know? I don't get in the way. If somebody tells religious, you know, satire that people find offensive, that's not necessarily going to get that person removed from my contact list. Sure. I might be a little bit more dutiful in who I, who I pair them with Okay. Uh, in future shows. I might even... I might even say this person might pair well with this other really dark one. And I might use it as a marketing shtick to be like, you know, buyer beware type (laughs) of stuff. Uh, But that's on me. That's my job as the club owner. It's not the responsibility of the comedian to, you know, be on a well put together show. It's their job to fill their minutes with their comedy. Yeah. So that's as the club owner, that's my perspective. That's hard. Like, that's a hard balance for me, you know, is being a comic and being a club owner. Like, seeing it the way, like I just said it, by being like, all right, we're going to book this satirist. This guy does political satire. I'm going to put him with this person because it's going to be a nice lead-in. Then I'm going to really pitch this show and sell this person's angle so I can attract more people to come in. Like, it all feels like kind of a ruse, like a setup to, like, manipulate people to come out on Saturday, Friday, Saturday night, you know? with this big long pitch and all these posters and all this stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, that when you get them in there, you can't make them feel like you duped them. You spend all week being like, come here, don't go there, come here. This is going to be this. This is why it's going to be so good. Here's this little video, whatever. You go through the whole promo pack and then, you know, it doesn't deliver. Sucks. People don't want to come back. Right. Let me ask you this one from a different angle. Instead of like booking headliners, what about a open micer or a beginner? If you were at a mic, and I'm talking again, relative beginner, and they're trying to do topical stuff, political, religious satire, whatever, but it's not working. Like it's just beginner mistakes and it's not 
that funny and the crowd is groaning, whatever, you know, the picture I'm trying to paint. Yeah, sure do. What kind of advice would you give that young comic if they want to do satire? To, to read and watch successful satirists. But okay. there's a caveat with that. Cause like, if you, if you watch it, you know, these, a, a young up and coming comic might, or maybe not even up and coming, that might be presumptuous. A young comic or mm -hmm. a, a new comic rather, okay. could easily like just pick up, pick up jokes, you know? So you don't want it to be too much. So I guess the advice would be be careful how much of it you watch, but definitely what you do watch, pay attention to it. And I would I would really encourage these people to write. They gotta I think that when people deliver uncomfortable topics, they have to really, really spend time thinking about like how they're gonna package the punchline. How you're gonna get people to even get to your punchline. You gotta drag them. If you wanna get the laugh you want because you think it's funny but the topic is kind of like hot coals. Like you're going to have to pay attention to that right. fact and you're going to have to build up that mm -hmm. story with other, you know, deceptive informations, you know, that type of stuff to really get them to, to laugh at the part that you think's funny right. with some of this stuff. Add on to that, the whole fact, like, dude, this is, this is a real radioactive time in the country in terms of like how heated people are right. about their political beliefs. Like it's unhinged, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, even in Carlin times, like shit was definitely gnarly then, but like, I don't know, man, now it seems like it's even a little closer to the edge, man. Like right. uh, I think a, a Shrek, like donkey on the edge, like donkey <laughs> Shrek, man. Like it's it a new open micers may never even develop into that type of comedian as a result of the current environment. So I think there's a lot of layers to it. Only the strong survive. The good <laughs> ones will stick it out. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And, they'll, and they'll be here. That's why there's less of them out there working and being really good at it. I like to uh, just add this question out as a tag to the conversation, which is, is there anything else about satire that you want to share or, or say that we didn't get to? All right, I'm going to shamelessly plug my club. Do it. <laughs> my thoughts on satire this it looks awesome on a t-shirt next to the words church and of <laughs> which you can get yourself one by going to the church of satire comedy club website at church of satire comedy club.com clicking on our merch store and going to the merch of satire site where you can pick up all kinds of really cool logo stuff <laughs> excellent in fact i'm wearing one right now um <laughs> <laughs> Hey, let me ask you a, uh, just a, a COVID question. Uh, uh, your your March comment actually reminded me of this. What's your like plan for the like the the, the near term, like the next three to nine months? What's the what can you do at the club? You know, not much. I got a forty nine seat occupancy here, so I have a very small club, and I like to pay comics as fairly as I can and okay. keep my lights. So currently, I think the I think it's twenty five percent occupancy. Sure. And do the math. I can't pay anybody. Right. You know, um, it's not like I live in an area where I'm surrounded by comedians who might be like, "Well, I'll do your spot, and then I'll run down the road and do this other spot." It's not right. really like that. You're right. like people got to drive forty five minutes or more mm -hmm. to get here. I can't properly compensate comedians, so I won't. I'm not going to put myself in that situation. I'm not going to diminish the brand. So. You know, I've been trying to utilize some of the some of the assistance money that I've gotten okay. uh, through some of the programs to do everything I can to sustain the stability of the building. 
you okay. know, the actual club itself, like keep it open. So I'm, you know, picking up side gigs and shit to keep the wheels turning, whatever. But I don't think I have any intentions at this point of opening until I can do so at full capacity. I feels like to me, it feels like if they say you can do things at full capacity, that tells me that uh, from a public health perspective, we have turned a corner right. where people can people can confidently go out and have a good time. I don't see that really happening until things are back to full capacity. That's where I'm at right now. Six months from now, I don't know. It's been a long yeah. A long year for me too, yeah. just like everybody else. Yeah, nobody knows, but it's going to be a while. You know, I'm going to continue to dig my heels in and mm-hmm. plan on being here when okay. it's done, so that we can just get back yep. to the business right. of making this community come out and laugh. You know, that's right. all. It's pretty simple. We'll be there when it's over. Okay, good I for you. That. All right. Well, I reckon that that's good enough for for my purposes. Thank- right on, man. It was good talking to you, yeah, buddy. My pleasure. <laughs> Hey, I want to say I did um, love talking to Jim. Before we wrap up, Kristen, we were talking about Goop a lot, and they certainly deserve as much ridicule as we can heap on them. I definitely will stand by that. I would like to thank you for this opportunity to talk at length about vaginas more than I ever have in my entire life, probably. I feel like there's no response I can make to that that would be uh, tasteful. So I'll just say uh, I'm glad I was able to facilitate. Perhaps you and me could be an episode of Goop. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe I should just like just apologize to everybody about (laughs) saying this is going to be about, you know, alternative medicine, but we're just going to, we're just going to talk about Gwyneth Paltrow's weird relationship to her vagina for a good chunk. (laughs) (laughs) I think if I were were to put that into the teaser for this episode, this would become the highest rated episode (laughs) ever released (laughs) and could possibly get a cease and desist order from Gwyneth Paltrow, which would make it all worthwhile. Hey, Kristen, before we uh, shut this thing down, any gigs coming up or any shows this spring or summer that you want us to know about or any video releases for Sad Boys? Well, like I said, we just did the Easter one. So um, we've been having meetings and we're having an upcoming meeting where we are going to discuss our next video project. We're hoping, I think everybody in the group's going to be vaccinated by June. Just to let everybody out there know, even if you're fully vaccinated, you should still wear your mask and socially distance (laughs) yourselves because it's like a flu shot. It doesn't make you impervious to all strains of flu. Yes, to what Kristen said. <laughs> yeah, we're just, we're, we're hoping to at least, at least film more together in person. Sure. At the very least. Kristen, you, ha- you did help me with the um, graphic design and posters for the live version of the Comical Heathen, which then went on a hiatus because of this pandemic. So uh, thank you for that by the way. And also just to say, I'm going to be trying to restart that project as throughout the year. And I do have it booked into the Kansas City Fringe Festival, which happens in August. So hopefully I'll be doing something for them. Again, it's still kind of pandemic dependent. So I'm hesitant to say too much in case it falls through, but (laughs) I am booked to do it in August. Just want to say thanks once more to Jim Bryan for being my interview guest. I really want to thank uh, you, Kristen, for being my guest co-host today. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. (laughs) Uh, Indeed. I really appreciate you. 
I always want to make a point to thank my good friend Jeff Geddert for creating our new theme music. Plus, he contributes as a writer to this podcast. So thank you, Jeff. I want to thank all of you for listening, especially if you made it all the way to the end of this episode. I really appreciate you. Remember, share and like and star and leave comments and help us get the comical heathen out there. And I so I appreciate you. You can always email us. Our email is comicalheathen at gmail.com. So email us. And it just remains for me to say, just remember, it might be your dogma, but it's my karma. And I'm all about spreading the love. <laughs>